Good morning. 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 Welcome, uh, welcome everyone to this week's Come and Reason Bible Study. Uh, my name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in this week for Tim, who is in Germany. Uh, I want to welcome those uh, watching online, those listening online. Welcome any visitors that are here, and welcome the members. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for another Sabbath day that you've given us. I want to thank you for one day in seven to remind us that you are indeed a God of love, truth, and freedom. Um, I want to ask that you guide our study today, and please uh, open our hearts and open our minds and open your words so that we may discern greater things about you. Uh, please continue to bless our class corporately and individually. Be with those of our group who are not with us and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. We're studying lesson four today uh, in quarterly uh, entitled Revival. Um, the title of this lesson is Witness and Service, the Fruit of Revival. How many of you had a chance to uh, look at the lesson ahead of time? Okay. I, I've mentioned this before. One of my major fears and insecurities about teaching up here is that I'm going to get 40 minutes done, and I'm going to have everything said that I need to say, and we're going to have 20 minutes of, of dead air time. <laughs> and I can usually, there's usually something in the lesson that, um, you know, we can, we can pick out and, and, you know, have a disagreement about, uh, because sadly, this is usually written from a penal uh, substitution perspective. However, this week, it, the, the lesson is dead on point. It's it's an amazing lesson, and, and while I'm very happy that, um, that there's nothing really that that bothers or aggravates me, it uh, it continues to worry me that uh, we're going to run out of time. Because say that every Sabbath when you're studying the lesson. Absolutely, <laughs> history history has has proven that um, that's the case, but not this week. So praise the Lord that. Um, the, the, Sometimes you find what you're looking for. Yeah, that's true. You're absolutely right. But the the lesson is beautifully written and and, and edited, and it's it's just a wonderful lesson. So let's start Sabbath lesson, and you know here the lesson lesson states it better than I could, so I copied and pasted it <laughs> in my notes. Uh, the memory text, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Christ, our, this is our Savior talking to his disciples, uh, preparing them for the work that they were going to carry forward in the uh, first century uh, church. First paragraph, the purpose of revival is to fill our hearts with such a love for Jesus that we long to share this love with every person possible. In genuine revival, our own hearts are awakened to God's goodness and compassion, forgiveness and power. We are so charmed by his love and transformed by his grace that we cannot be silent. I think that's, I think it's brilliantly said. In contrast, a revival, quote, revival that focuses on one's spiritual experience alone misses the mark. If it develops attitudes critical of others who do not measure up to one's, quote, standard of holiness, it is certainly not heaven inspired. If the emphasis of revival is merely to change external behavior rather than to change hearts, then something is wrong. I think both these paragraphs are, are very well stated and and dead on point. Any any comments? Any thoughts? How 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 do we often? What has Christianity and sadly much of Adventism uh, done as far as uh, uh, with regarding revival or observing uh, change in, in people's uh, harder character? Well, what's the first thing we tend to look at? Outward behavior. Behaviors, correct. Uh, behaviors in ourselves and behaviors in others, which are often easier to identify and much easier to criticize. Third paragraph, changed hearts lead to changed behavior. Amen. I'll read it again. Changed hearts lead to changed behavior. Genuine revival never leads to self-centeredness or especially to self-sufficiently or self-exaltation. Instead, it always leads to a selfless concern for others. Amen. 
When our hearts are renewed by God's grace, we long to bless and serve those who are in need. All genuine revival leads to a renewed emphasis on mission and service. We often put the car before the horse, and we we either make the effort ourselves to change our behaviors or to change the behaviors of, of friends and family um, for them uh, without letting the Holy Spirit change their hearts first. We will put the car before the horse and get it backwards, and it often leads to friction and, and unrest. Only the, uh, only the Holy Spirit can change the human heart. And while it's true that <clears throat> our behaviors can help or hinder this process, uh, the heart has to be healed first. Thoughts? Questions? If we change our desires, it helps. If we change our desires, it helps. Is that is that something that we can do on our own? No. We we certainly can. We have, we do have a work to play. Absolutely, we we have a work to do, and it's a difficult work. I think by changing, by making the right choices in life, gradually your desires do change. I mean, we have to learn to make right choices, and that helps in the long run, to change our desires as we make right choices. And what is it? What do we learn in the process of making right choices? What What is it? What's, what's so beneficial about making those right choices? Changes the Change brain. Changes a lot, yeah. Okay. So our, our brains get transformed. Yeah. Or, or they get rewired. What else? We're more likely to make less mistakes. Well... Let's let's clarify that mistakes are not mistakes are not sinful. Yeah, but we can't learn about it. Yeah, certainly. What's the saying? Uh, the average man learns from his own mistakes. The wise man learns from the mistakes of others, and the fool does neither. The, the real benefit of, of making right choices is that it puts us in conformity and harmony with God's natural law, the way that he created life to operate. And, and those choices bring us life, put us in conformity with life. You had your hand up in the back. Yeah, sometimes we may not desire to do something yet. You know, maybe our heart's not there yet, mm-hmm. but we're maybe convicted in an area, you know, and as we follow the conviction of God's principles, then, you know, our heart can come into light because we're reprogramming our brain. Right. And as we choose to do it once, then it makes it easier to make a good choice the next time. Yeah, we're talking about exercising and strengthening the will. We're going to get into that in Wednesday or Thursday's lesson, and you're, you're dead on point. The, um... Yeah, I forgot where I was going with that. Hey, yes, uh, Peggy, on, from online. Eve Parker says, the more we exercise positive choices, the more healthy our brains become, and the easier it becomes to hear God. Correct. Thank you. Well said, Eve. Yes, Sharon. I'm going to give you a point to disagree with so we can have... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ten minutes worth. <laughs> um, my mind goes into thinking that, you know, that I'm making good choices only to find out in my older, more mature hindsight, no, nah, I didn't quite make the right choice mm. I thought I was making at the time that I made it. And I, um, when I hear this, I, I want to be positive and I want to feel like, feel like I'm doing the right thing. But I think that's where I get, and maybe that's Satan doing that, but that making the right choice based on whose criteria. Because sometimes if you share your right choice with somebody else, even in trying to you know, sort through making a right choice, mm-hmm. the opinion may be totally opposite from somebody else on how you should approach something. Yeah, and, and not only that, what, what may be the right choice for you Is in any given time or situation may, may be the dead wrong choice for someone else in the same same situation. Peggy, one more. 
Um, Lori says, I thought mistakes were sins, and I think we need to discuss that one. Okay. Um, Lori, when you were... When you were learning your multiplication tables, did you ever make a mistake? You know, with you know four times eight. If you made a mistake, was that sinful, or was it just part of the learning process? Okay, mistakes. Willful mistakes might be a sin. Perhaps. What does Scripture define sin as? Of the law. Lawlessness. Which law? The one he writes in your heart. God's natural law, the way he created life to operate on this earth. Sin is transgression of God's natural law. It is living outside of harmony of God's natural law. If you walk out of here and if I trip on a rug, that's a mistake in walking. Okay, I haven't committed a sin in walking, have I? It's part of a learning process. I need to learn to walk. <laughs> or, yeah, I need, or I need to learn to pay attention to the rugs. Thank you. Correct. I mean, there, there, there are lots of variables. Um, so I, I, I have a hard time. Now, in fairness to Lori, I, I used to equate mistakes with sin. I, I used to think they were synonymous. What is a mistake? Anyone? What, what is the question? Is what is a mistake? Would it be making a wrong choice without intending to, without realizing it was wrong? That it certainly could be. It's like you didn't intend to trip over the rug; it was just an accident. Could be a mathematical error. Sometimes they're accidental. Could be, it could be an accident. I mean, the the list is the list is endless, and. It, one more from the comment from the back, and then I'm, then I'm really going to give you food for thought. I wanted to comment. There is a comment, too, but I wanted to comment on that. The Lord knows our hearts and minds, and some of the mistakes are just plain mistakes. He knows our intention mm-hmm. with a mistake. So I don't think that's sin, and he will overlook knowing our intention. Now, comment from online. Often when a person has a rebellious heart, they make foolish choices, usually don't learn from them. And that was from Sam. Thank you, Sam. Do perfect angels in heaven, as they're growing throughout the ceaseless ages of time, make mistakes? Uh, that's right where I was going to go with that. Um, how many of you know how to fly in here? What, by yourself? <laughs> yeah, not in a plane. I mean, flapping your arms. Levitating, defying, defying gravity, and flying. Anyone? anyone? I mean, you know how to walk on water. Anyone? Do we think these are things they're going to be able to learn in heaven? Are we going to, when we get to heaven, are we just automatically going to be transformed and, and, and know how to fly? It's certainly possible. But I think there's going to be a learning process. I mean, think about all the, the knowledge that we had that we know here on earth and then think about the infinite amount of knowledge that's going to be available to us and there's going to be learning occurring in heaven there's going to be learning learning throughout eternity and the idea that i think it's i think it's reasonable to expect that we're going to make mistakes in heaven they won't be from a, a corrupted sinful heart but we're going to make mistakes we may we may try to fly and fall on the grass and laugh and try it again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I was just going to say I think in one context mistakes are part of the learning process. Think about learning to ride a bicycle, for example. And right, I've got the scars to prove it. I've always had a hard time believing that he drove every nail straight from the minute he picked, Joseph gave him a hammer. Right. Or he sawed a straight line or planed a right angle. Yeah, or you know he measured twice, cut once. I mean, you know those, these are things you have to learn. Carpentry. Yeah, well said. Thank you. Another hand. Yes, Tina. I look at a mistake as something that doesn't really change my character. A sin is something that takes me further away from God. So, you know, that, to me, that would be the difference between a sin and a mistake. Also well said. And you know, here again, going back to our definition of sin, sin is living out of harmony with the way God created life to operate. Is lawlessness is living out of out of harmony, out of conformity with that law. 
our salvation is not just set. It's still a learning process from the time we become Christians until the time we no longer live here. What? Correct. Well said. That's going to. You know, we're going to get into some of that. Um, uh, help me out here. I think Wednesday's lesson, Tuesday's lesson. Uh, but let's move on to Sunday's lesson here. The three three texts that um, the lesson has us look up. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read them. Matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See if we can pick out a common thread in these texts. Mark sixteen fifteen, And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Have you ever preached the gospel to your pet? <laughs> can, can we? Can we reveal Jesus to our, our pets? And, well, I certainly Okay. Luke twenty four forty five through 49 And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are, all, you are witnesses of these things. In the last text, John twenty twenty one. <coughs> Jesus said unto them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send to you. Any common themes? Witness. Witness? Witness what? Witness Jesus of Nazareth. Well, who did Jesus witness? The Father. His Father in heaven. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And why did he do that? Because because he loved us, correct. Because he wanted us to understand that God was a God of love. Correct. Exactly. Good. We're we're moving right along. (laughs) I may have maybe done in thirty minutes. This is this is great. Um. Again, you know, the lesson very succinctly states, uh, once Christ ascended to heaven, his church was to be a visible manifestation of his love and grace to the world. The disciples had a mission, and they had a message to share. They had a task to complete. They were to carry on the work that he had began. That he began. Has the Christian church fulfilled our Savior's wishes? No. If it had, he would have come already. Correct. Has the SDA church fulfilled those wishes? Yeah. We're to spread the gospel of the kingdom. What is that? Mm-hmm. Kingdom of love. Correct. Do you ever think? I, I sometimes find myself thinking selfishly that, well, yeah, I'm kind of glad that Christianity failed because if they had, I, I, I probably might, might not even be around. <laughs> yeah, I'm For sure. <laughs> I mean, how. How twisted! That's kind of twisted, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so selfish. Did you have your hand up? Yeah, I was just going to back to those texts. Mm-hmm. A theme I also saw is when we ask for forgiveness and we repent our sins, we get the power through the Holy Spirit to witness. And I think that's something that sometimes we overlook that we need that power in our own lives after we ask for the forgiveness, that we have something to share. And I, I just sometimes wonder where we get bogged down with some of that, where we get that power from. If we don't have a power, why do we share? Hmm. Any thoughts? If we don't have the power of what are we sharing? <laughs> That's... Yeah, I mean, I think, I think when we... When we have a, when we have really, really comprehended and experienced God's grace is revealed through uh, Jesus of Nazareth, um, and we feel that that transform that transformation beginning, that quickening in our in our hearts and minds and characters, and and we see ourselves 
no longer becoming slaves to emotion and feelings and uh, our reason and our judgment and our wills become strengthened uh, through appropriate exercise of all of those things that it's <clears throat> it's invigorating and you have a difficult time keeping that to yourself it's i must suggest it's impossible to keep it to yourself if if it's if it's genuine it can't it can't be uh it can't be hoarded and withheld i think that speaking personally as as an individual that our life has become so self-sufficient we are in need of nothing and we don't have that deep desire to share what God has done for us in our life because everything's going so good. Mm-hmm. It's when we have trials and tribulations and things look kind of gloom and doom that we tend to share with people. And then when things get turned around, it's like, look what God has done for us. But it takes something almost a catastrophe or something bad in our life, you know, and then we have something to share. But we are so self-sufficient right now, you know, we don't need anything. Uh, you're right. And, and <clears throat> again, that, that's, that's sad because in heaven... We're not going to have any gloom and doom and trials, and yet we're going to be sharing sharing the uh, <clears throat> the story of our character transformation and our loved ones' character transformation to angels and to other intelligent worlds you know, throughout eternity. So, all right, hang on. I've got three hands. Let's start. Uh, Peggy. Uh, Eve Parker again. The commission in Matthew can literally be interpreted as immersing them in the name of the Father. We can't do that ourselves. If we are not immersed into God's character of love. Thank you. Well said. You should probably come here in person, Eve. And <laughs> yes. In uh, Great Controversy, there's a sequence given uh, about what we're talking about here that kind of, uh, uh, in my mind, runs a little counter to the way the lessons are presented, like this week, it's we're, we're studying about witnessing and sharing, and then next week it's talking about obedience. Mm-hmm. So here's the quote: "It says it is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the scriptures what is true, and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example." Okay, so. Here again, the first step is what? Learning Learn from Scripture what is, what is true. true. What's the underlying theme of all of Scripture from beginning to end? God is love. That's the one fundamental truth, of that's foundational truth of Scripture. So to learn that and to experience it, uh, then, yeah, we should absolutely walk in that light. Your hand, yeah, hand up. Yeah, I was going to say that many, many years ago, I knew a young man who was in a Christian tradition at that time, and, and they would talk about things like, are you saved, and have you been filled? In other words, there were, there were certain benchmarks that could be demonstrated apparently. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about witnessing, and we're talking about sharing. I, I have a friend who at one point was talking about that line from the hymn uh, we gathered together that says, let thy congregation escape tribulation. And he was arguing to me, we're so self-sufficient, we don't have bad things happening. And his point was, we want this tribulation. And as I've thought about the idea of witnessing over the last several, a couple of decades, let's say, there was a time in my life, I admit, where I thought, you know, maybe I don't have a genuine Christian experience because I can't relate to what people are telling me. Have Mm -hmm. I been filled? Do I know? Have I been touched by God? And I'd like to suggest to all of us that each of us, we do have a personal experience with Christ. And that personal experience is unique to us because we have experienced it. And that in and of itself is worth sharing. Mm, amen. It might be the thing that somebody else needs to hear just what you have to say or what I have to say. And ours could be completely different. And we don't need to get distracted by Satan's temptations right. to worry about, well, you've got a more powerful experience, brother, than I do. And so I guess mine isn't good. No, I, I think that's well said. Uh, yeah, we're all we're all at different we're all at different points on the path of, of life. 
hopefully, path of life. Uh, different parts of the journey, different maturity levels, different backgrounds, and yet an experience that we may be dealing with or have dealt uh, successfully with, with the, the grace and help of the Holy Spirit, um, it's, it's unreasonable to think that no one else on earth is, has, ever had to, has never had to deal with that same thing either. Yes? I think if we think about sharing the gospel, as the third step here, it says encourage others. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, just trying to change somebody's doctrine. Okay. Right. You're encouraging people in their walk to look to Christ or have help or whatever it is. So, you know, it's a mindset. You know, i got to go out and preach the gospel. No, it's, a, it's an encouraging work. Right. Well, yeah, the correct. Well said. The, the mentality is, well, we need, we need to save souls. We need to baptize more. We need more baptisms into, into the denomination. Come on. I feel like that <clears throat> asking for the power of the Holy Spirit for a complete conversion, even at my age, sometimes I feel like, have I ever been completely converted? Because he says, when you're converted, you strengthen the brethren. You're more able to witness and show them the love of God. And the Holy Spirit is the only thing that will do that for you. Peggy. Uh, it's Eve again, and she's in New York. That's why she's not here. Uh, Miss Eve. the need for tribulation, if we can't keep on track with a relationship with Christ when there aren't trials, then how likely is it that we'll hold on to God when trials come? Well, that's an excellent point. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's move on to Monday's lesson. Uh, lesson suggests that the ratio of Christians to the rest of the world's population was roughly one to 580,000. So it's one Christian for every 580,000 non-Christians. 580,000. At your time, say it's at the time of first century. First century. There was roughly one Christian to every 580,000 non-Christians. How long? How long do you think it would take one person to tell five hundred eighty thousand about the gospel? Quite a while. Maybe. Have you guys ever heard the? Have you guys ever heard the? Had been asked the question: Would you rather have five million dollars now, or would you rather have one penny, uh, doubling one penny a day for one month? <laughs> have you ever heard that question? Yeah. The if you had one if you got one penny a day and that amount doubled every day for 31 days, you would end up with $10,737,418.23. Okay, this is simply a, this is, and this is a simple geometric progression with a constant ratio of two. It's doubling. So think about that, $10 million plus dollars starting with one penny, and all you're doing is doubling it every day. Yes? Uh, from Lori, what's the difference between what Christ told his disciples to preach and what the SDA church is preaching? Uh, that's a good question. That, that should take care of the last half hour. <laughs> Anyone want to answer that? What is the difference between what Christ told his disciples to preach and what the Seventh-day Adventist church is preaching? This is not an answer, but okay. I read the, the text um, and whatever Sunday's lesson, mm-hmm. um, what came to me is that, you know, it was about a church, and God must have known that it was going to split up into hundreds of thousands of churches. And what I, what I thought about for a while is, you know, why have we done that? And is it a good thing? You know, you know one church meets the requirements of one, and it's like us. We've taken on one specific area of of the Bible, essentially, which in our mind is the most important. But we've established kind of our own little community here. Mm -hmm. So all these churches are the church. We all believe that where we are is where we're supposed to be. And what do we do? In other words, is there, you know, I was raised to be afraid of ecumenism. Yeah, being ecumenical. Ecumenical, yeah. <laughs> Loving others. But anyhow, I just think it's an interesting concept that, you know, what are we doing and how do we maintain 
that church that God wants and how do we witness to others with all the differences that are out there that are important. So, uh, These are good rhetorical questions of which I do not have an answer. But it, you know, I, after after you know, looking at this, um, kind of examining the mathematics of this this uh, penny problem and et cetera, et cetera, um, it got me thinking. I mean, has has Christianity done its job? Has has Adventism done its job? I mean, are we are we so occupied with uh, baptizing people into the denomination, or are we are we occupied with revealing the grace of God? Uh, through Jesus Christ to our friends and family and Sharon. That is part of the job. It it is okay, you know, to go there for and teach baptizing people. And so I think that's part of the gospel commission that I don't want to just Let the, throw I, out there that, that maybe that's not a I'm not going to trivialize it, but but the Savior's words are baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. He did not say baptizing them into uh, Roman Catholicism, baptizing them in the name of of uh, you know the uh, Seventh Adventist vegetarians. But I am suggesting that the witnessing process takes place and often leads to that baptism through what we're saying we're doing, which is that spreading the gospel commission. Uh, and I'm not I'm not arguing with you that mm-hmm. it has to be into the Seventh Day Adventist Church, but I do think for all all. Um, what is, what is the word? The, um, ah. Welcome to my world. We're all, we're all the Protestants. Yeah, I mean, um, oh, there's a word. But see, when you get old, this is really bad. <laughs> I know. I, trust me. I know the feeling. The whole process of witnessing, though, does evolve into that. And people do cluster to like-mindedness. Okay, mm-hmm. I want to be here because I know you all kind of know that we're all believing the same way. So I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but I agree that we can get hung up in some of those casualties of, no, it must be my faith and nobody else's faith. Yeah, I mean, our class uh, is over here as a result of that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, I was going to touch on that uh, a little bit later. <laughs> One more comment, and then we'll, well, if you on. stop at a list of rules and not get to the relationship part of conversion, then you haven't really helped people. And so I think some of our people are sticking with the list of rules, and other people are continuing on with the relationships. It's it's not just okay now I understand this, so I'm going to do it. It's and now I know Jesus better, and I'm going to spend time in prayer with Him and ask Him to empower me to do mm. that. You know, it's you got to not stop short with the, the basic truths of our church. Tuesday's lesson, power of personal testimony. Uh, you know, here again, I, the lesson is just dead on point, quoting from it. Religious ritual has little power to change lives. Religious formalism leaves people spiritually barren. Doctrine alone will not transform hearts. The power of New Testament witnessing was rooted in the genuineness of lives changed by the gospel. The disciples were not play-acting. They were, they were not just going through the motions. Theirs was not some form of artificial spirituality. An encounter with the living Christ had changed them, and they could not be silent any longer. What do you say but amen to that? Amen. <clears throat> and this is what our Savior was telling us when he, when he, referred, when he told the woman at the well... Uh, whoever believes in me, in Christ, uh, rivers of living water shall flow from within him. This is this is going back to uh, this, this inability. We'll be unable to keep silent. We'll be unable to refrain from sharing what Christ has done to and for us. Dr. Moses. The, um, the last paragraph of that page, mm-hmm. not the pink was also a continuation of that same thought. Read it, please. The most powerful witness is one of a Christian who knows Jesus personally. There is no substitute for the testimony that springs naturally from a heart immersed in Jesus' love. Yeah, you know, I mean... The first and last paragraphs of this page were just... Fantastic. Exactly. And the whole lesson is just very well done. I like the word, use of the word immersed there since we were kind of mm-hmm. talking about baptism. That's right. It should be immersed in. Yeah. Now, sometimes uh, this transformation occurs quickly. Like anything, can anyone think of any examples of a, a quick transformation in Scripture? 
thief on the cross? Saul. Saul. Yeah. I'm not so certain that happened. I agree. What? Quickly? That, that was a quick conversion for either of those two people. Now, we don't know about the thief. True. Okay? But we know about Paul. I mean, even in the, in the discussion or the statement that, that God made to Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, why are you kicking against the pricks? In other words, he had been hit by his conscience for months prior to this, and the Holy Spirit had been working on him for months, and then the sledgehammer came. Right. You know, but if, if the previous work of the Spirit had not been there, there would not have been a conversion. Uh, that, that's a fair point. Um, perhaps quick was a poor choice of words. Uh, it, it, appear, it appears to us to be somewhat abrupt, but, but you're right. I, in reality, I, the Holy Spirit had been contending with, with both the thief and Christ from birth. There's a, there's a research done on um, evangelism within the Muslim faith, and that it takes something like 34 or 37 or something like that contacts with a Christian before a Muslim is willing to acknowledge a different way. Hmm. And so we often, in our contacts with others, are so discouraged that, you know, what am I doing here? And yet, we may be just one step, one contact that that individual has, and that the Holy Spirit has a thousand different ways reaching us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's well said. Uh, there's a hand in the back. Go ahead. Looking back through my life, there were many little seeds of, of faith and witness that I received from various sources before I really came to that you know, conviction. Mm-hmm. Which it was not instantaneous. It would seem as such. When I found 3 ABN and I, and I learned about the truth, I went, wow, but I, I had always been searching up to that point, so mm. it's a progression. Yeah, well, that, that was the point I was, I was going to make, is that, you know, for, for most of us, you know, the, the transformation of character is the work of a lifetime, and, um, and the Desire of Ages, uh, one of the founders of our church, Supports this. An upright character is of greater worth than the gold. Excuse me, this is Patriarchs and Prophets. An upright character is of greater worth than the gold of Ophir. Ophir, whatever. Without it, none can rise to an honorable eminence. But character is not inherited. It cannot be bought. Moral excellence and fine mental qualities are not the result of an accident. The most precious gifts are of no value unless they are improved. Formation of a noble character is the work of a lifetime and must be the result of diligent and persevering effort. God gives opportunities. Success depends on the use made of them. Uh, And again, from the desire of ages, our confession of his faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. We are to acknowledge his grace as made known through the holy men of old, but that which will be most effectual is the testimony of our own experience. We are witnesses for God as we reveal in ourselves the working of a power that is divine. Uh, The lesson asks us a poignant question here. What kind of personal testimony do you have that tells what the Lord has done for you? Uh, I want to open that up to anyone that wants to to share that. Is there there anyone in here that wants to share that? Briefly, what uh, what sort of transformation uh, has occurred in their lives? Well, maybe not in my life, but in my family's life. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I know people that know me here have in the past known of the, you know, I have two teenage boys, or two boys, not teenage, that have been off the path for so long, and now they're both getting their lives in order. I mean... Praise heaven. Yeah, and the youngest one just last night, I commented to him how... Wonderful it is to see him happy all the time, wake up singing, you know. And I said, this is just a change. Do you recognize it? He said, absolutely. He said, to be happy like I am now and to have a life like I have now, there's nothing that can take the place of it. And it's all without a question in my mind, God's lady. All the prayers that have been going for my children and stuff, there's no question in my mind. But that's what's turned it around. And I'm so thankful. Good. Praise heaven, Tina. Anyone else? I, go ahead. Well, I, I wasn't raised as a Christian. And, well, kind of semi. I was raised in Europe. And, you know, Europe is very secular. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, anyway, um, I know that because I was searching, the Holy Spirit was actually starting to teach me maybe like 15 years ago. And it was very interesting. When I was taught by the Holy Spirit and just by reading the Bible, I received so many revelations. I mean, the Word of God was becoming, like every time I would go to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit was the one who interpreted the Word of God to me. Then I became a part of an organized church. And my, I must say what happened to me. I became a part of an organized church, and I started thinking like that church. And then I was saying to myself, wait a second. And then I, I felt like I was just, well, that was my decision to become a part of that organized church. And I was in that church for like 10 years maybe. And I realized after 10 years that I was actually thinking like that church. And because I had that previous, my first, my very first experience with God was just the Holy Spirit, just Christ in me, I could see that drastic difference. Mm. And what I, what, what the Father and Christ and the Holy Spirit have done for me is, again, the last few years, I decided I am just going to go back to the Word of God. And I would, for instance, I would start reading certain parts of the Scripture, and I didn't understand it. And I was just like, okay, Father, I trust you. You will interpret that to me. I don't really want people to teach me. Because I came to the point that I was reading every single Christian author on prayer, on transformation. I mean, I devoured books and books and books. And I was a single lady at that time. I didn't have family, so I had a lot of time to read. And I was just getting more and more and more and more and more confused. And when I turned back to the Word of God, I remember like Romans 5 to Romans 8 became the best parts of my, of, I mean, I, I, just, I just love that part of the Scripture, because it is the Gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I started experiencing and receiving that what Christ has done for me on the cross, that that's already established, that I'm already forgiven, that he has made me to be a new creature, that my old self was died, that he cured that sinful condition. And from that point on, I could see a drastic difference in my spiritual walk. <coughs> and now what I'm doing is I'm just, you know, receiving what Christ has done, you know, just I'm trying to live by every word that God says, you know, and just thanking him for what he has already done for me. Thank you. That's well stated. Uh, I can speak for myself uh, in in uh, coming to uh, be introduced to this class and then becoming a part of it, um, especially the teaching part of it. It has it has opened up it has opened up a credible light, for lack of a better word. I mean, the light that I'm walking in now. I look back to ten years ago and I think. How in the world did you exist in that darkness? Because a decade ago, it was dark. I was, my my head was dark, and and now I, I feel I feel like it's noon. And and the, and the beauty of it is, is I I realize that I still have I still have so much more to learn. I have I have much greater light to uh, to be revealed and to walk in, and I'm looking forward to. The Holy Spirit granting me that light. Uh, let's look at Wednesday's lesson. Uh, lesson states, activity is a law of life. That sounds like a natural law concept, doesn't it? Is that something that God imposed on humanity? No. It's the way he created life to operate. And it is absolutely true. Everything... Everything from the smallest subatomic particle to these massive super galaxies that are four and five thousand light years across are in motion. Everything is moving. Everything living is moving. If you're not moving, you're in deep trouble. Stagnation is death. And here, here we see it. Scripture, science, and our own personal experience are in perfect union in this. They're perfect harmony. How many of you have ever broken a bone and had to have it immobilized? Okay, a couple of hands. How many of you have ever had a frozen shoulder? 
motion is life. <clears throat> and when we, you know, I see this, I see this daily, many times a day in my practice, in my physical therapy practice. When when patients stop moving a body part, joints, connective tissues, uh, muscles, ligaments, they all get stiff. They get resistant to motion. And sometimes the restoration to motion is painful. And sometimes it even leaves bruising. Any, anyone see any parallels between uh, the physical and the emotional or the spiritual? Okay. If you've ever been in spiritual stagnation, which a decade ago I, was, I wasn't moving very much spiritually. And the, in the process of getting connected with this class and getting moving again, it was painful. I had to give up some long, deeply held beliefs that were erroneous. They were, they were continuing me. They were continuing the stagnation. I had to start moving. I had to start exercising. Okay, there's, there's, no, there's no difference here with the spiritual, the physical, the mental, or the emotional. Motion is life. The lesson states the law of multiplication is a divine principle. Absolutely. And you know, more than the example that I gave earlier with the doubling penny, it's not just a multiplication by uh, two. The Holy Spirit can multiply things by numbers that we, we can't even begin to fathom. It can be an exponential progression, which is <coughs> staggering. I mean, the one of the my understanding and you know for those who are computer uh, geeks please please don't call or email me with corrections on this because i'm sure i'll get it wrong but one of my understandings of of some of the difficulties that uh people that are using that are you know, writing code for the internet now is that they're having a tough time coming up with numbers that are big enough to be used now, I'm sure I said that wrong. There, there are there are certain there are certain numbers that are there need to be used in, in the internet that have um, ten thousand commas in them. I mean, think about that. It, it, it's these. You know, I can't. I have a tough time fathom two commas. Those those would be millions. Um, I, <laughs> apropos of nothing, I, I sometimes, I used to go teach a uh, nurse practitioner class, and I, I've also gone and lectured pre-physical therapy students on, on what it is I do. Invariably, I'll get asked, what's your income? <laughs> and I always tell them, my income has one comma in it. So they're, they're left to imagine it's somewhere in the range of a thousand and nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars <laughs> that's as detailed as i'm going to get with what my income is <laughs> but can i think about a number with ten thousand commas in it <clears throat> i mean you know, even the scientists among us uh, i would imagine have a difficult time fathoming uh, those sorts of numbers yes but think of Y2K, that was because there wasn't enough spaces for numbers. Yeah. They reinvented the wheel, and it's just totally in a different world now. Right. And, and yet, even a number with, with 10,000 commas is, is a little minuscule number compared to infinity. I mean, how are we ever going to comprehend infinity if we can't comprehend a, a, a number with 10,000 commas? <clears throat> Note uh, in Matthew ten eight, this is uh, this is Christ talking to his disciples. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, and freely you give. Anything about that text jump out at you? It did me? I mean, have you ever have you ever considered that we we have the exact same source of power? that they did, that Christ did, to be able to raise the dead. Why can't we do it? Why can't we do it? Why don't we do it? I've never even attempted it. That's the problem. We might have the power, but we don't have the faith. We might have the power, but we don't have the faith. Well, 
if we don't have the faith, then I don't think we have really have access to that kind of power. What I'm saying is the power we could have. We could have the power if we had the faith. I, I'm following you. Um, well, talking about faith. Hang on just a second, Dr. Moses. Talking about faith. Has anyone ever said to you, "You just need stronger faith"? Oh my yes. Or have you ever said that to someone else? You just need a stronger faith. You know, getting back to our quote that activity is life. Uh, how do we how do we strengthen our faith? Thank you. That wasn't a trick question. Through using it, through exercising our faith, and I'm not talking. I'm not talking a blind faith that that, uh, that most of Christianity thinks is faith. I'm talking an evidence-based knowledge of a a true and loving God that has given us ample evidence in in nature and in Scripture of His trustworthiness. You got a comment, Doctor Moses? Um, two th- things. One is most of the miracles were not done for those of great faith. Correct. For the benefit of those who had no faith. Right. The second issue is um, I've been recently, as part of my Bible study, I've been doing going over the boring topic, the state of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, just going through the scriptural things. And I've been impressed that. If we are part of spreading life, then we truly are raising the dead and fighting back the spiritual darkness that leads to death. Good. And we often do more than we realize with what we're doing. Excellent, because I hadn't I hadn't even gone there, and I think you're I think you're right on point because you know Scripture talks about the living and the dead. It talks about those who are dead in their trespasses. And my mind is still is still small enough to think that, you know, the dead, we think about dead as, as what we understand as asleep. But reality is, is more eternal. There's going to be an eventual living and completely dead. And... Um, you know, I, I think it's a great point. You may be as revealing Christ in our lives. We are raising the dead and, and providing life. You had your hand up. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly understand things in a, in a less literal sense, as we've just described there. Every once in a while you hear on the news about a mom who picks up a car that was going to run over a child. Mm-hmm. And I suspect if you ask that, that parent even 10 minutes before, could you pick up a car, they'd have said, no way I can and, and I wonder sometimes if we read the scripture that you just read from Matthew there, that we think, oh, if I can't do that, I must not have faith, realizing that it's not about us saying, hey, watch me, watch me heal this dead. It's not right. about us. It's right. about the need of the moment, and as was said, for the other person or for others around. And I can imagine if, if those of us who are connected with Christ seeking to, to follow his, his plan for our lives, seeking to follow God's will, if we were at a moment like that, we could probably do some pretty remarkable things, not in our own strength, mm-hmm. but through his. And, you know, you can certainly make the argument that there are, there are physicians and nurses in emergency rooms all over the country that are bringing people back from the dead. Mm-hmm. You know, the cardiac arrest patient who's been, who's been dead for, who's been, you know, clinically dead for five, six minutes and is revived with, uh, you know, the right. electric paddles. But I feel like we as Christians, if we can uh, not particularly convert, but show the person the love of God, we can save them maybe not from death, but from the second death. Right. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's what uh, Dr. Moses was talking about as well. All right. Let's uh, touch on Thursday's lesson here as we... Before we wrap things up, uh, revival, witnessing, and divine intervention. This kind of hit home for me. Do, do we have? Uh, does our class have any evidence of uh, divine intervention regarding its growth? Any examples? Are you talking about in our personal life? I'm talking. I'm sorry. I'm talking our our Bible study here. This, this class. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. God worked out us to have a setting where we could show that our you know have people from all over the world participate in our class. And I think that was a divine thing. 
Uh, I agree. <clears throat> Even before that. I think that Tim's over in Germany is a pretty good, you know, I, I don't think when this class started I wasn't here, but the thought of being teaching a course or classes or, you know, loving those people were mm -hmm. part of the plan, that seems to me to be divine intervention, along with many other things that have happened. What, what about us getting asked to leave the Collegedale Church? Amen. I mean, seriously. I mean, I... The, <clears throat> Having to have an experience that uh, I thought the prevailing um, attitude within the class was, you know, oh no, you know, we we, we really shouldn't leave. Uh, I don't think this is a good idea. My, my thoughts ran the opposite. I thought this is great. This is this is God pushing us out of the nest, and and you know, like the the mother eagle does with the the young ones. Okay, flap your wings. Uh, I really thought that you know. Whether whether it was God uh, um, instigating it or whether it was Him allowing it to happen and and using using that situation for our betterment, uh, who knows? Uh, and I don't really care. But you know, we can if if you want if you really want to look back to when this class started to grow, that was the that was the fork in the road right there when we left the College Hill Church. Uh, for better or for worse, uh, and and our our class has grown with the the you know the online ministry. Our classes, uh, the Bible study has grown financially, and we're now a official you know tax exempt ministry. Uh, we didn't get caught in in the IRS um, you know mess of of them denying denying uh, our application uh, like was being done at the time with with some other groups. Um, I think our class has ample, ample evidence uh, of divine intervention in the, in the sustenance and the growth of our uh, the growth of the class. Um, you know, thankfully, if you look at the early Christian church, thankfully none of us have been imprisoned or tortured yet. Think about that. The possibility is, you know, some, some in this room will be alive, may be alive, uh, to experience that. Um, consider the example uh, that the lesson gives of Philip and the Ethiopian. Um, after Philip shared the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, he baptized him right away, and he didn't baptize him into a denomination. He didn't wait till the Ethiopian has given up his cigarettes or become a vegetarian. <laughs> I, I mean, we laugh, but I'm, I, I've. I've heard I've heard stories of of uh, you know a husband and wife wanting to be baptized together, same time into the Adventist denomination and church saying, "Well, Bill hasn't given up his cigarettes yet. We can't do that." Isn't that sad. Yes. I know. I know in my case, Lord, I wanted to be baptized when I was 19 years old. I wasn't told I had to do this or that or anything else. They didn't ask a lot of questions. They just knew I wanted to be baptized. Good. It kept me there. Good. She said that when she was baptized at 19, which was 100 years ago, <laughs> before the Civil War, um, <laughs> she said that she wasn't asked a lot of questions or questions or, or given, uh, you know, a, you know, uh, a financial background check or anything like that. They, they said, welcome. Well, we'd love to have you. There were a couple of comments in the back. But besides that, I have learned a lot in this class that I didn't know there. Yes, good. Good. Well, I, I'm glad that at 98 you are still, your mind is still flexible enough that you don't think that you know everything there is to know. You're still, you're still teachable. Praise the Lord. Yes. Is there a difference in being baptized into Jesus Christ, like with the Ethiopian, and, and uh, being baptized into an organization? <laughs> that was my question. <laughs> because it seems like that, that the Gospel Commission could apply to anyone. Amen. Go teach and baptize, mm -hmm. but what are we baptizing into? I, I... One requires a, a licensed clergy to basically vet them into an organization. 
The other one, I think, is a little different. Oh, I agree. Uh, just one last example. Uh, it's probably eight or ten years ago I, when my practice was not near as busy as it is now. I had a lot of free time, and I was thinking, hmm, I'm going to do a, um, an evangelistic series. There's a, there's a group whom I will not name that holds three-week evangelistic series, both you know, domestically and internationally. So I signed up with them, and I got to look into some details, and, and I asked a question. Um, so what if, what if people want to be baptized at the end of an of evening? And the response was, well, you're not, you're not an ordained minister. We can't have you baptizing. <laughs> and it was a deal breaker. So I said, thanks, but no thanks. One more, and then I have to close. Uh, Eve says, Philip also wasn't ordained, while the SDA church currently says only ordained pastors can baptize. Right. I thought that was appropriate for what you did. Yeah, I, I... The way I feel about it, Christ might say, you're done for my cleaning. Yeah, that's good let's close with prayer dear Heavenly Father uh, I want to thank you for more light thank you for additional light and truth <clears throat> please continue to, to be with our group please be with Tim and, and Christy as they uh, share our message in Germany um, please continue to work and transform our characters and our lives so that we cannot remain silent and we will we will we will not be constrained to reveal to others what you have done for us and we can hasten your coming in Jesus name amen, amen.